We saw a thrilling last-second win in eight-man football. We saw another gut-wrenching loss in overtime. And now the stage is set for the rivalry to be renewed in the state semifinals in Class 1A. We're bringing in reinforcements this week. It's Kyle Kampmeyer and Mitch Stormer, both here with me. Let's get into it. Talking Illinois high school football. If your goals are as high as you talk about, tonight's the night you go out and just take one more step. It's a view from the West. And it starts right now! Welcome into View from the West podcast. I'm your host, Greg Armstrong, joined as always by Mitch Stormer. And Mitch, if we're talking about the rivalry, the rivalry in the NUIC, the rivalry maybe around the state, especially when it comes to Class 1A, we're talking Lena Winslow and Forreston. That one is a huge matchup. We got to bring in Kyle Kampmeyer. So Mitch and Kyle, thank you so much for being here. Kyle, you got to be geared up, right? This is this is what you dream of. This is the 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 postseason, the matchup, the rivalry. You know, it, it's funny because I was listening to your podcast last week, and you had made the comment that uh, I was getting excited about getting all my stuff booked for Champagne, and I was sitting there thinking, "Man, Greg, I've had that booked since probably August." But uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, this is definitely the epitome of what we see every year in the NUIC. It's definitely what we thought could be a very great possibility once the brackets came out. And obviously to have what I've dubbed the rivalry uh, play out the way it has is just even better because obviously Forston comes in as one of three remaining teams with an eight and four record left in the state. And they were definitely a team that we felt were better than their five and four regular season record when they entered the playoffs. And they're, they're starting to play that way now. Yeah. This is just a really exciting matchup. Mitch, that that's the good stuff. That's the good stuff going into this week, but right. we're going to have to talk about some bad stuff too. We, we saw, we saw the end of some great seasons uh, this past weekend. And that's kind of the reality when you get to this time of year in the playoffs. Yeah, we, we bid farewell to a couple of really, really good teams that we had the pleasure of covering this season, who in all the games that we're going to talk about, the Rock Ridge game, Knoxville, Princeton, Sterling, um, you know, maybe with the exception of, of Sterling a little bit, um, just incredibly close, right? The Knoxville game, I guess, throw in there too, but um, great performances from our teams who, who really went up against traditionally – very, very good playoff teams, very, very good programs overall. So, yeah, like you said, this is this is the type of year that we see this type of thing um, that can happen. Obviously, when we're talking about the NUIC, we're, we're, we have the luxury of talking about them a little bit longer. But um, not to take away anything from the seasons that a couple of these schools had, because, uh, as I said, it was, it was a pleasure to cover, cover them this year. And uh, they have a lot to uh, be proud of this year. Yeah, all our teams, you know, battled. You know, final score, regardless what they were, I think all of our teams battled and 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 really, you know, gave it their all in the in the quarterfinals and, you know, came up came up a little bit short, you know, a majority of them. We talked about the good in the 11 man with Forreston and Lena Winslow. How about in the eight man division? Caden Drosty has been a story this year, you know, week in and week out. 
But man, he really vaulted himself into maybe some of the all-time conversation. We'll get into the end of that game, but just crazy stuff happening in eight-man football. West Central and Amboy meeting up in the state championship game in Monmouth this Friday night. Kyle, Mitch, this is we've loved eight-man football this year. This is really exciting. Kyle, you, you got to be geared up. You get you get an NUIC uh, team in there in Amboy. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking about that earlier this week already, or, or this weekend, I should say, uh, once the, the pairings was, was, became um, formidable. And uh, I was taking a look, and I'm like, man, we were talking about Amboy being at the top of eight-man back in week four when they played MCP, and then they had that 10-point loss. And, and then we saw what happened in week nine and week seven as West Central actually starts to solidify themselves to the level that we thought that they could be at, but they definitely cemented themselves number one in our NUICfootball.com rankings simply because of the way that they manhandled Milledgeville. And then likewise, they did the exact same thing to uh, Amboy. And and quite honestly, I, I anticipated – uh, a much larger score differential in favor of West Central against Polo simply for the fact that Polo did lose to Milledgeville and to Amboy earlier in the season. But that, to, to Polo's uh, credit, that also shows where Coach Alston and his staff definitely started to change the gears and get better at what they do. Um, but, yeah, to have Amboy back in there, obviously first time back at state since 1984. Um, we, we talked about these playoffs, especially once we hit round two, uh, being absolutely crazy. And here we are. I mean, obviously West Central was definitely expected. Amboy we knew could be a player, but I don't think they were the pick that everybody had. Um, but I think it's going to be great. And I'm excited to get to Monmouth, honestly. Yep, absolutely. All right, Mitch, before we dive into, you know, all the games and the semifinal matchups and the state championship matchup we have coming up in eight, man, what was your, uh, what was your Saturday like where you, you were following along, obviously, what, what were you watching? And, uh, you know, tell me, take me through your Saturday here. Yeah. Um, you know, unfortunately I had a lot of the, the games all starting around the same time. I think there was about an hour break, maybe that a couple of games started um, earlier. I was trying to find the Lee win game. I didn't see it on NFHS. Fulton might've been streaming it separately. I just, I didn't see it. Um, so my focus primarily was on, was on Princeton um, and I see Catholic. So, um, but was able to watch majority of that game caught a little bit of the Sterling Sycamore game. So, um, uh, you know, following along online, for most, uh, the majority of these games. So, um, yeah, a, a typical playoff Saturday, right? Just trying to find as many games as you can. Um, luckily I was inside, um, opposed <laughs> to others who, uh, like, like yourselves were on the sidelines. So, um, yeah, getting all the results kind of coming in about the same time, you know, a lot to keep track of. And like we talked about earlier, a lot of, uh, bad news to, to kind of pass along in terms of, of teams losing, but, uh, the excitement that we're going to be talking about here with what we've got left um, certainly made up for it. Yeah. So uh, like you referenced being outdoors, I, uh, I was out in Fulton for Lena Winslow and Fulton. I took my son with me and I think about like one minute into the game, 
he was already looking at me like, Dad, it's cold. How long are we going to be here? And I was like, well, we're going to be here for a little while. We're going to see how this game plays out. By the time it was halftime and he saw the scoreboard, he, he was definitely done. So I, yeah. I kind of had to, you know, relent a little bit and, and give in. The good thing is on the way home, we found a Buffalo Wild Wings. So that was indoors and we could watch football. And I did pull up the Princeton game on, on my phone while we were watching some college football in the, in the restaurant there. So he was happy because he had wings and a bunch of, you know, a bunch of games on and he was warm. So he was certainly happy right. with that as well. But uh, yeah, it was uh, a fun day. I, there was a lot, you know, like you said, Mitch, everything started around the same time. So, you know, a lot of, it was kind of rapid fire there for a little while, which is fun, but sometimes it is a little more entertaining to have it spread out, but either way, you know, the results are what they are. So. Yeah. It felt, felt like a Friday in that way. Yep. Um, but still every game kind of meaning a little bit more than, I don't want to say they mean more than a regular season game, but that's how it feels kind of. So uh, not as many games, but more importance, I guess, was uh, was on shared shoulders, we'll say. Yep. All right. We'll get into it. We're going to start. Uh, we're going to flip the script a little bit this week, and we're going to start with the games that, you know, moving forward, have all the impact in our area. We'll talk eight-man football, the state championship game. We'll talk Class 1A, and then we'll get down into the rest of the bracket, um, or the rest of the brackets, I should say. I want to thank everybody who listens in, who's been, you know, joining us week after week. We're, we've been having a ton of fun, Kyle. We've been glad to have you on, you know, more often this year, that's been a ton of fun. So I just want to thank everybody who listens, who subscribes, who downloads the podcast every week. If you like what we're doing here, you can support view from the West. It's easy. You go to PayPal, paypal.me slash view from West pod. So if you don't want to remember that, you can find it. It's pinned to the top of our Twitter account. You can head over there and find that. And guys, have you seen, uh, if you head to youtube.com slash at view from the West, we got some classic highlights up there. Kyle, I think it's a highlight you like. Mitch, maybe a highlight you don't like so much. The yeah. Dakota Morrison game from uh, 2007, we decide that was uh, yeah. in 07. That was a classic. My only time I've been to Dakota and it was, uh, it was fun. Mitch was with me that day and he didn't have yep. so much fun, but uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but Mitch, I did. I do have a, uh, I do have Morrison defeating Newman in the quarterfinals in 2011. That's posted up there right. as well. See, you probably like that one a little yeah. better. You know, the, the, the game that I lost there in Oh five. Yeah. Oh five. Uh, and then, in 07, you know, uh, we were, we were that, that group, so to speak, that kind of stretch of four years was, was Morrison's return to the playoffs. They hadn't been back since 99. Yeah. Um, so, you know, despite the losses there in, in Dakota to very good teams, I mean, there, there's no question that those, those Indian teams were, were really, really good. Uh, certainly laid the foundation, right? Nothing to be ashamed of there as Morrison would go on to win a couple titles. So I, I, I can, I can take it in, in full stride there. All right. There you go. All right. Well, enough talking about football from, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about, we'll talk about the real, although if you like football from 15 or 20 years ago, go to our YouTube channel and check it out. It's, it's a lot right. of fun. But anyway, let's get into it. It's the rivalry in class 1A, the rivalry around the state, Lena Winslow, Forreston, NUIC rivals meeting up again in the semifinals. Some of the numbers, when you start going through, are just unbelievable to me. Yeah, I mean, you take a look at 
the the times that they've met, this is going to be uh, the eighth meeting in the playoffs between these two teams. And uh, out of those uh, seven previous meetings, six times the winner of this game has gone on to win the state championship. Uh, the only time it did not happen was back in 2006 when uh, Lena Winslow won in the second round of the playoffs and then met their demise the very next week in the quarterfinals to Morrison uh, when Morrison went to the semifinals and lost to Westville that year. Um, outside of that, you know, the previous, the other meetings were 2010 in Lena Winslow's first state championship year, again in 2013 in their second state championship year. Then we saw a meet up in 2016, 2017, and 2018. And then once again, we saw them uh, meet up last year in the second round. The the thing that, that blows my mind is since 2016, Lena Winslow and Forreston have accounted for every single IHSA Class 1A state championship since 2016. Going back to 2013, seven out of eight of them have been Lena Winslow or Forreston winning a state championship with the exception being Arcola, I believe, in 2015. Yeah. So just, I don't know. I mean, when you start looking at, I mean, Kyle, that's, that's why you started your website. That's why you started, you know, doing coverage week by week to promote this conference because it legitimately, you know, it, it's the best conference in the state. I think when you start putting it at levels, I, I don't, it's hard to compare, you know, big conferences like Rochester and Sacred Heart Griffins conference in Springfield area to a class one, a two, a conference, but size wise, you know, apples to apples, it's the best conference in the state, in my opinion. Oh, hands down. And I mean, I think you're starting to see um, other people start to definitely acknowledge that, um, you know, and that you're, you're right. That's really the main reason why I started uh, doing NUICfootball.com was simply because it, it started off with an idea um, that transcended into action and it just has taken off from there and really it was simply because we had all of these great teams and great players coming through that either weren't getting recognition from around the state because that was one of the things you always heard was teams from down in central Illinois that were going to be really tough year in and year out and they're going to blow the doors off of anybody they come against. And then all of a sudden they get to the state game and there's an NUIC team waiting to punch them in the mouth and go home with the title. And uh, I felt with obviously things that I've heard you guys even mention the lack of uh, local media uh, falling apart because of print media starting to collapse due to social media's, uh, increase in the availability to have everything right now at your fingertips. Um, it, it gave me an opportunity to put down a foundation to help get these programs more recognition. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've definitely faced some battles to get started with legitimacy and things like that, because I, I'm not a true member of the press media per se, but uh, I think that what we've been able to accomplish over the years is proving that we know what we're talking about. We're giving you credible 
information. And I, you know, I do a lot of research to help get these stats out there. There's a lot of things that I know uh, within our conference just from my deep dive and pride that I have with the NUIC. And, you know, it's like one of those things I was talking to uh, Kevin Dykstra earlier today, the father of Fulton QB, Braden Dykstra. And obviously Fulton's one of those teams, longtime Three Rivers, Big Rivers uh, uh, team there. And, you know, both of them knew about the NUIC, but they didn't know the level of play in the NUIC until the last two years. And uh, they, they got that opportunity to really feel what it's like and uh, see the sense of pride that a lot of our community towns have. And then of course, to be one of those teams that is talked about within the NUIC, uh, they, they definitely feel why and believe that the NUIC is the best conference and, and they prove it year after year. Yeah. It, it's really impressive. I, I mean, when, when we jumped in to start our podcast here, I knew I, I wanted to include the NUIC despite, you know, we're from, I'm, you know, more based out of the Quad Cities area. And we had, you know, some interaction with Galena, Milledgeville, West Carroll to a certain extent over the years. Um, so I knew, you know, I had a little bit of crossover, but a lot of that NUIC is is the Rockford TV market. So I, I wasn't covering a lot of the conference week in and week out, but I saw it and I knew that, Man, if we're, I wanted to start a podcast about the teams in our area, but I knew I wanted to make sure to include that because those teams are the teams that are talked about, you know, week in and week out. And, you know, I, I love it. I, I love it. So we, we could get into the, the actual gameplay here, but Fulton, you know, has been a great addition to the NUIC and they've proven, you know, their worth making it to the state quarterfinals two years in a row. Unfortunately, they've run into, you know, the best, you know, maybe, maybe the best of the best over the past few years in Lena Winslow in this one, Lena Winslow, 52 to 15 final score. You know, the defending state champions were in complete control of this one in Saturday, on Saturday afternoon, they rushed for 376 yards. Jake Zeal finished the game with 131 total yards, four touchdowns. Panthers scored early and often. Behind Zeal, Lobdell, they went up 30 to nothing before the Steamers would get into the end zone, but it was still Lena Winslow 44 to 7 at halftime. Just, uh, I was, I guess, obviously not surprised, but just really impressed once again with Lena Winslow. I don't know what else there is to say. I mean, I texted you guys after the game that just bigger, faster, stronger. They just, they're big up front and they execute up front which leads to their skill positions, being able to get some open space. And when they do, they make one move or they run past guys. And it's just, it's it just the total package is really impressive. I mean, yeah, I don't know what else there is to say about them. It's just, it, I just really impressed. I like to talk about their area. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mitch, let's talk about let's talk about the aerial attack of Lena Winslow here. Yeah, going go to the air uh, for the for the first time this year. I think uh, the first touchdown pass to close out the first half was only like their 16th pass attempt of the year. Uh, and then they just went ahead and added another one 
uh, on their first possession in the second half. So I don't know what that's all about. You know, I don't like it all that much. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, they seem to see a wrinkle, um, obviously. And that's, I mean, that's the type of offense that Lee Wynn plays, right? That you know what they're going to do. And so there is going to be an opportunity every now and again during a game where they're going to, defense is going to give a look that you could make a pass work <laughs> relatively easily. And uh, Lee Wynn was able to do that in this game. Uh, did they need to? Maybe not. But again, gave them a nice wrinkle. They had the opportunity. And, and of course, as they do, whether they're running the ball, they, they found success. So uh, credit to uh, quarterback Streckland. Is that, is that his last name? Am I pronouncing that right? Um, Streckwald. Streckwald. So he probably had 17 or 18 passes this year, and seven of them probably went for touchdowns. So uh, pretty efficient, nice little wrinkle to have in your game. And uh, see, they might need it, right? They might need it in a game against Forreston. So. Uh, yeah, kudos to them. Cool, cool to see them pull that off. I think it just seems like uh, those touchdown passes were probably a little bit based on, you know, personnel, what they saw in Fulton's defense. And I think that's, again, even more credit to Lena Winslow, right? When a team is going to try to, you know, they, they have to find a way to stop you. So they're, they're, you know, they're loading up front and they're really gearing up for the run. And then if you have that ability to, to drop one over top, and which they did, and um, I don't know, Kyle, I mean, you, you've you seen more of Lena Winslow than, than I have in person. You've seen a lot of game film, I'm sure. I was just really impressed with just the execution on offense. I mean, on defense as well. They, they fly to the ball. They don't miss tackles. But on offense, it just feels like from quarterback to running backs to line play, they all know the plays and they execute at such a high level. Yeah. I mean, it just comes down to exactly that execution. I mean, Lena Winslow, obviously they try to keep it to a double wing wing T type offense. Once in a while, you'll see him go into an I formation, but all they want to do is, and they'll go into a wishbone, which really you take any of those four formations and that's the catalyst to a, a multi-dimensional running team, which Lena Winslow obviously is, especially when you have three backs that you can go to at any time. And with that comes the ability to execute up front on the line. If you don't have the line, hitting their blocks and repetitively knowing what to do play after play after play, you're not going to see much success. And, you know, a lot of the formations change, but the plays and the blocking schemes up front for the Panthers don't. And because of that, it allows them to execute at a very high level because when your blocking schemes are similar, depending the, despite whatever formation you're going into, you know the repetitive motion of where you have to be. Uh, you know, is the guy lined up over me? Do I have an open gap here and I need to reach the second level to get to a backer? Do I need to seal the edge? Do I need to kick out the DB? They know what they're doing and where to pick it up. And the, the fact that they just – get out to the open field on their sweeps so fast. I mean, if you ever watch their guard pulls, 
The first guard pulls out like you would normally see on a buck sweep. The second guard pulls right back into the guard hole that was previously left and then goes upfield that way rather than trying to go all the way around the tackle. So, um, and, and it helps plug the backside, uh, the backside pursuit as well by doing that. And, and it creates a wall that these guys just, are able to get out and get in front of and you know having the speed to do it obviously tip it and angle at guards are so big but they're so fast i mean it goes back to the playoff show when i said there's good big and there's bad big and, and you know these guys are definitely good big like they're not typical linemen they're big boys but they are athletes and they move like athletes and that that's just huge yeah I, I was really impressed, you know, top to bottom. And credit to, you know, Fulton. The Fulton Steamers had a great season, and they have a lot to be proud of. And it just, they just ran into a great program. I will say, Mitch, you've talked about it a lot, being, you know, a rival from Morrison. The atmosphere in Fulton was great. The fans mm -hmm. were there in full force. The, you know, the bleachers were full. It was loud in there. And, even when the score wasn't going their way early on, it still remained a great atmosphere. I did yep. get to see the steamer, you know, the steamer boat move one time. So, uh, yep. you know, when I was there in the first half and it, it was a great atmosphere. And, I, you know, obviously every year we're pulling for the steamers to do well because I think they're a great addition to the NUIC. And, it, you know, it's, like we said, it's a great atmosphere there. Yeah, um, fond, fond memories of playing there and, and seeing games there in, in this sort of uh, in playoffs, I should say. So, um, yeah, and again, this this could go back to the debate that we'll have again, where I wish these matchups wouldn't occur in the quarterfinals, right? You yeah. know, if if you see it in the semifinals, that's one thing. I, I, I don't know. I guess quarterfinals is a nice bar because at least it's not first round or second round. But yeah, again, could we have avoided this matchup if we were one? one through 32 possibly. Um, but it's more just a credit to the conference because uh, again, you might see these matchups in any round in whatever seating we go with. So um, a great season for Fulton. Uh, again, nothing to be ashamed of there or, or not to be proud of because uh, no shame in losing to the champs. And uh, we look forward to seeing them next year. Before we move on, I got to give quick shout outs to uh, a few loyal listeners uh, Jeff Parsons, the athletic director yeah. at Fulton. He was there walking the sidelines, talked to him a bunch. His son, Mike, uh, who's also an IHSA official, was there over the weekend, was there on the sidelines, talked to him for a while. Really good to see them. I'm glad that they, you know, support the show. Um, good to meet up with them. And also, as I was uh, walking the sidelines, I ran into Jade Nord, head coach of Stark County. So, mm -hmm. Good to see him taking in some uh, playoff football here in the quarterfinals. Um, good guy out there in Stark County. So, uh, you know, just a, a few a few names and a few faces that I ran into, and it, it's good. That's what I love about this time of year. You know, you run into the run into the people that we talk about, you know, week in and week out. So, yep. anyway, so Lena Winslow gets the big win. Obviously, they go up against Forreston, which we've talked about. Forreston gets the win 20-8 to eight over Dakota. This was a pair of five-win teams heading into the playoffs. Kyle, you talked up Forrest in a bunch going into the playoffs, that they were a dangerous five-and-four team. But Dakota was sitting out there with a win over Forrest in the regular season, 
And you actually kind of went out on a limb and you took Dakota to win the game. And I think it was kind of a toss up, but um, you know, Forreston comes away with this one. It's hard to beat a team twice in the same season. It is. I mean, obviously, you know, taking a look back at everything I've said over the season, you know, I, I did pick Forreston to win the first matchup. Um, and I remember stating on the playoff show that, you know, I felt uh, that Dakota had no business beating Forreston. Um, and, and the reason for that wasn't so much the fact that I felt that, you know, Dakota was bad, right? It was it was simply because I felt that Forreston was just a much better team um, size-wise, athletically, and um, – when you, when I started to break down this matchup and knowing what the, uh, what we were going to get for forecast and everything, it started to change how I thought that the game would play out. Um, obviously, I, I did have Forreston initially picked to win this game. Um, in my bracket, even, I have the Forreston-Lena-Winslow game as the semifinal matchup. Um but the way that Dakota started to play after they got that beat down in week nine at home against Fulton, you know, they had to go on the road. They had to overcome four turnovers uh, to beat Iroquois West with less than four minutes left in the game. Then they had, they got to come back home and, you know, they were considered the underdog to a Marquette Crusader team that had beat them by 21 points the year before. And, and both teams returned the same amount of players from a season ago. And, um, you know, you, you almost just had to give Dakota the upper hand or, or Marquette the upper hand in that game. But, you know, as I was talking to coach sheets, you know, while the players for Dakota remain the same, the, team itself was definitely different and and that was something you could see as it went on I remember that week four game uh, I was talking to a couple of the guys that play for me uh, in baseball were saying that they could beat Forreston they knew that they could beat Forreston and then they went out there and did it so you get in the playoffs and they were definitely looking forward to this opportunity to meet back up with Forreston and in the quarterfinals, obviously they had a lot to play for going on the road. They come away with a win. They get to go back home to Dakota uh, for the semifinals, which would have been the first time they would be at the at home in the semifinals since 2005. So there was a lot um, on the line there for the Indians, not just obviously moving on to the next round, but just a lot of energy in the positive way, especially after coming off a two and seven season to where we saw them at in this season. And, uh, you know, with that forecast, the ability that Dakota had to be able to both run and throw the ball, I felt was more of an advantage for Dakota over Forston this time around. But uh, obviously Forston had a, a good game plan. It was a hard fought battle and Forston came out on top. Yeah, Mitch, you put in the notes for this one, and I, I want you to, you know, be able to give credit to your boy here. So go through the tail of the tape on this one. Yeah, um, you know, stop us if it sounds familiar, but Forreston held the ball and slowed the game down. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
that that's a forced and you know game plan to a T. Um, I, I texted you guys; it was either Saturday or Sunday that their longest play of the game was 12 yards. So, um, you know, in this in the first half, especially despite being down for the majority of the half, Dakota only had the ball. I, I should say, Forreston was down the majority of the first half. Dakota only had the ball twice in the first half until the final 70 seconds or so. So, gives you a little bit of perspective that even if they weren't scoring. Forreston was just controlling the clock, controlling the ball, moving the chains. Um, and that's what they've done all season. But, you know, um, they get a score there uh, to only trail by two at the break. Big play, though, in this one was right after halftime. Caleb Saunders picks up an errant Dakota pitch and returned it about 40 yards for a touchdown. Uh, they would get the two-point conversion. That gave Forreston the first lead of the game, and it turned out to be the game-winning play as well so um as Kyle said this was this was a really hard fought game between two really good teams that have been playing really well um and, and yeah my my guy uh Johnny Cobbler had 111 yards and two touchdowns in this one which you know um it didn't seem like they went running back by committee very much in this game um I guess stick to what works right so he had the hot hand and, uh, again, was able to keep those drives moving, keep the chains going. And, effectively, he would score again, uh, the capped off an 11-play, six-minute drive near the end of the game and uh, effectively ended it. So, good game for him, good game for Forston. And, uh, as we've said, we're looking forward to this rematch and, and looking forward to seeing how that sort of style plays into a game against Lena Winslow. All right, Mitch, just for journalistic integrity, Johnny Kobler, but – I know I had, to do like... it, I had to do it one more time. I had to do it. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I did see, I, I put in a couple notes here that I, that I found um, that this is the furthest that the Cardinals have been whenever entering the playoffs at five and four. So they've never been eight and four at this stage. Um, also, and, and I apologize if I get the name wrong here, it looks like it's Don Werns, longtime force and broadcaster. Uh, he had a nugget that the Cardinals have had a three-game winning streak at some point in each season over the last 27 years. They hadn't had one this year until this game. So the, the streak continues, 28 straight years of at least having a three-game win streak. Um, a, a very cool, you know, neat nugget, very unique uh, to, to keep track of. So, But also that they had to wait until the playoffs to do it. So, Yeah, well, and that is a – fascinating stat that is a you know very interesting stat and I think it kind of defines Forrest and season right and I think early in the year in week four they lose to Dakota and you know no disrespect to Dakota but we thought it was a huge win for them but was it an upset win and where were these two programs going right and which which way were they were they trending and as it turns out they were both you know equal on par, right? Both playing very good football. And they were just running into some very good football teams inside of the best conference in the state, like we've referenced. So I think they both came into this playoffs feeling confident that they could make some noise and for good reason. And they did. And, you know, it's Forreston coming away with this one. Dakota had a great season, remarkable turnaround for them. And in this it was really interesting that Forreston won the game against Chicago Hope when it was a really clash in styles. Chicago Hope mm -hmm. really wanted to try to spread you out, throw the ball around. Obviously, 
Forreston wins that one doing what they do. But now in this one, it's Dakota and Forreston. Now Dakota passes a little bit more, but still really trying to control the clock, control the ball on offense. And it's Forreston coming away with the win in this one. I guess as we move ahead and look into this semifinal matchup, Kyle, I'll ask you first, and then Mitch, you can weigh in as well. Yeah. To me, it comes down to can Forreston perfectly execute on offense and hold the ball, keep it away from Lena Winslow as long as they can, and then play good enough on defense and get those critical stops? I know that's a lot in one statement, but I guess that's where the upset would come into play, right? Kyle, I'll default to you first. Yeah, I mean, they, they're they going to have to execute and they're going to have to be able to uh, move the ball on the ground. Um, obviously, we, we, we've seen that forcing can throw the ball, but their effectiveness with throwing the ball is not to the level that we've seen in years past when they've had the capability of throwing the ball. Um and a lot of that is just simply the fact that they just don't have the the past game connection, and and they to, to really make things happen. Um, that they, they are they are geared to do what Forest and teams do, and that's run that double wing offense to a T. Um, in order for them to get this, they're gonna have to be able to sustain long drives. I, you know, it's one of those things that you guys have just brought up. You know. Keenan Janicki uh, said that he needed to slow down the game, get away from their no huddle offense, which is what they've done. And now they're just working on grinding out drives. And, um, you know, there was no better illustration of that. And I didn't really think about it at the time, but back in week nine was in Florida when they were in Lena Winslow. And I remember a scenario, the very first drive, where Forreston went down to take the early lead against Lena Winslow. And right away, Keenan was yelling over to his dad, how long was that drive? Meaning time-wise. He wanted to know how much time he had chewed off the clock in that drive. And um, he he then did the same thing later on. And uh, you could tell that that, looking back that was definitely what he was trying to do grind the clock not hurry execute plays to keep them within an opportunity to make something happen to where if they got that turnover or or they forced Lena Winslow into a mistake that they were they had the advantage to capitalize on it and you know this game reminds me a lot of what we thought would be in 2018 Lena Winslow is going to come in this game as a huge favorite and and likewise they should be I mean we've talked about it all season I put it out there at the very beginning of the season Lena Winslow is a three touchdown favorite over the entire field I still feel that way Um, in fact they come into this game as a three touchdown favorite Um, but at the same token we've seen it where just like 2018, they came in as a huge favorite, uh, snowy, rainy, sleety conditions, kind of got them out of warped, uh, forced and came out with a different plan of attack. Even then, they 
You know, they had Garrett Bodicher at fullback, who Johnny Kobler actually reminds me of. And uh, they came out and they started just throwing the ball. And and it just took the element of surprise uh, to uh, Lena Winslow. And it took him a while for him to adapt. And then Forster was able to create two critical turnovers in Lena Winslow territory that then led to – forced in touchdowns where they took a 20 to eight lead uh, before Lena Winslow was able to come back to tie it up at 20 going into halftime, but they did everything that they needed to do to stay close in that game and then took advantage of the opportunities that uh, presented themselves for the Cardinals. And likewise, you know, breaking down this game, they're going to have to do the same thing. They're going to have to be able to play forced in football, do what they want to do, grind out, the clock slow things down limit the big play capabilities um obviously it's cliche but if they can't limit the big play obviously the speed of lena winslow and the power of lena winslow is definitely going to unravel the cardinals in this game yeah mitch what do you what do you think you know when you look at this matchup yeah, I think Kyle put it put it great there with the big play. Um, I think Lena had six plays of forty yards or more against Fulton. So again, can you can you limit that? And yeah, as, as Kyle said too, I think that is going to be Forrest's game plan where they're going to try and do the same thing that they did against Dakota, where they slow it down, they huddle up, they take every second they can off the play clock, um, and try and churn out long drives. The double-edged sword of that is that if you get behind, you're not going to have a lot of time to respond. So can you can you execute that way? But also, can you stop Lena Winslow? If anyone can, it's been proven to be forced over the years. But the way that Lee Wynn has played this year, I think they're better than they were last year. I don't think that's a stretch to say that with, with the addition of Lobdell and just the way that they've played. But – yeah, it's it's going to have to be a perfect storm of things where they execute perfectly on offense, chew up clock, either get some turnovers or at least take advantage of turnovers. Um, they're just going to need all of that in order in order to win. So uh, we'll, we'll see. It, it's it's the rivalry, right? It, it's going to be a great game. Um, I do expect Lee Win to win this game, but I I think it'll be closer than than Kyle's three scores. I, I think it will be closer than that. Um, but I just don't see how Forreston will keep up with Lena Winslow. I think they'll score, but I don't know how they'll keep up with Lena Winslow. I think for me, when I look at kind of what Lena Winslow did in this matchup against Fulton, uh, you know, defensively for Lena Winslow, they just kept, they kept that Fulton offense so out of sync, right? Like Fulton really wasn't able to get moving and just really gain any positive momentum or confidence they had a couple big plays they had a couple big passing plays they made some connections that was the first half touchdown um a big passing play led to that but ultimately they just you know lena winslow was able to really stifle what they were doing and i just look at forreston and fulton played a competitive game in the regular season so if you know if they were playing competitive and then lena winslow does this to fulton i don't know that that's that's not a good recipe heading in, but like you guys have discussed and very, you know, and stated very well that I think there is a there is a path there to an upset if Forreston can execute 
the game plan they want to. I think there's there's something there, but it's it's going to have to be executed pretty darn well. Either way, it's exciting. It's a great matchup for the NUIC. Honestly, it's a great matchup for the state of Illinois, right? It's just it's a rivalry renewed every year. It's names that it's names that people know around the state and they look at it and it, it it's just it's great all the way around. So on that north side of the semifinals, Lena Winslow and Forreston going up against each other for a trip to Champaign. On the other side of the bracket in the south, Ridgeview-Lexington going up against Camp Point Central. Kyle, I don't think this is really a surprise here. These are two teams that we had really kind of circled on that southern half of the bracket. I've been impressed with Camp Point Central. Obviously, Ridgeview-Lexington is a team that we've been watching for. This wasn't really a surprise, but here they are, and who can come away with it? It's one versus two seeds. Well, that's just it. I mean, that was one of the things that we definitely expected uh, when we saw that Ridgeview Lexington was headed to the south end of the bracket. We we definitely thought that they would be uh, a team to reckon with in the north side of the bracket. Obviously, uh, going and giving Lena Winslow the game that they did last year in the semifinals definitely put a target on their back for this season, especially with the return of uh, Logan Friedmanski and uh, Caden Farrell. And um, you take a look at what they've done. I mean, obviously they, they play in the heart of Illinois conference that's been in the state championship five times since 2013 winning four state titles and all those state titles coming in in class 2A in four consecutive years with DMAC and then Tri-Valley, uh, tri, tri then DMAC and then GCMS in back-to-back -back years. And, um, you know, you, you take a look at some of the games that they've played. And to me, it kind of left my head scratching a little bit because I'm like, man, they should have on paper, they should have really won that game bigger than they did. But, you know, they still were able to get the win. And, you know, when you can win the games you're expected to win, even if you get a challenge presented to yourself that creates adversity, that's obviously the hallmark of a champion. And, uh, you know, Hal Kyoto is no stranger to these types of situations. He took Lexington to the state championship game back in 1995. Um, he's a Hall of Fame coach. He knows – what he's doing. He's been in these big game moments in the past and, and uh, you know, seeing them go to the South was like an automatic, like pin it, book it Ridgeview Lexington's going to champagne. And, you know, obviously camp point central has been cruising through everybody. And, you know, you can sit here and take a look at their, their conference opponents, you know, the WIBC, um, is a closed conference. So it's tough to see how they will respond when they get into the playoffs, because all they do is play each other within the entire regular season. And uh, to see uh, both them and Greenfield Northwestern match up in the quarterfinals uh, was a game that we weren't really expecting. I didn't think Greenfield Northwestern would be the team that would make it to the quarterfinals. I did think CPC was, um, but you had the South division champion going against the North division champion for what ultimately became the WIVC championship game there. And CPC proved to win that 
Um, despite getting down early 12 to nothing, they were able to muscle their way back, put up 24 unanswered to take it. And, um, you know, Coach Dixon does an awesome job, stylizes his offense very similar to what Forreston does. Um, you know, he's definitely a big proponent for um, track athletes because he's the head track coach as well, big into strength training. And, you know, I think – it's one of those things that he studies. He sees the success that our programs up here have had, and he tries to emulate not just us, but other teams that run some of their offenses, you know, like Athens. And uh, he takes a look and sees where the speed game can definitely play a huge effect in, in football. And then you try to get your your big guys to be athletes, similar to what Lena Winslow does and. Um, when you can put that all together, you're going to create an opportunity for yourselves. And it's not so long ago we saw CPC in the state championship game, ironically, 2018, back to the season we were talking about when Forreston made their miraculous upset of Lena Winslow. It was CPC that was uh, there in Champaign. And here we are. We're getting ready to go back to Champaign. CPC's in the picture. They are going to have a, a big uh, game matchup with Ridgeview Lexington. It's going to be a very fast game. Both these teams just want to run the ball and pound it at you. So I'm I'm very intrigued by the matchup. Again, the South bracket. It's definitely who I pa- had picked in the semifinal uh, matchup, and uh, it, it's definitely going to be exciting. I mean, do I think we're going to see the two best teams in Class One A at State? No. But I think we're going to be pretty darn close with what we do have when we get there. Yep, I would agree with that. Um, well, I'll put you on the spot here then. Who's uh, who's going to be playing in Champagne? <laughs> well, <laughs> or are you saving that, that for your show? Nope, nope. I, I, I'll I'll let it out there now. I I do have Lena Winslow winning. I agree with Mitch. I do think it'll be closer than the current three point spread. Um, I, I think that Forreston is definitely playing at a much higher level, and it's a level that we saw them bring in week nine when they had to play Lena Winslow. Um, I would not be surprised if you saw a similar type game there. Um, I was just talking to somebody uh, yesterday about it, and uh, if there was a team that was going to be the runaway winner, it would be Lena Winslow. But if there was a way for Forreston to win, it's going to be in a close upset. And um, I do confidently feel Forreston uh, can give Lena Winslow a good matchup up front. Obviously, both these teams are very well versed on what each other want to do. So it's going to come down to who can execute, who can control the line of scrimmage, who can win the turnover battle, and then who's going to have that one element of surprise that's going to change the landscape of the game. Um, but I do have Lena Winslow in this game, and I do think it's Ridgeview Lexington that they will see in Champaign. All right, Mitch, what, what say you? Yeah, same. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I do think Lee Wynn will, will advance. And I, I honestly haven't seen too much from either Ridgeview Lexington or CPC in terms of highlights. Um, but I, I know from – Last year's success, I was impressed with Ridgeview Lexington in that game against Lee Wynn and with what they have coming back. So, yeah, I think we'll see a pair of uh, one seeds there in the 1A bracket next week. I'm uh, I'm going opposite, at least on the south side of the bracket. I, I, I do think Lena Winslow gets the win in the north. 
I'm going Camp Point Central. I I like what Coach Dixon has been doing there, and I just I don't know. Going back, Kyle, when uh, when we had our playoff preview show, I just I had a feeling that uh, this is a year for Camp Point Central to be in Champaign. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that. It's the two seed Panthers going up against Lena Winslow, the one seed also the Panthers, both wearing the black and gold. So uh, that that's that's where I'm going there. All right. We've broken down, dissected Class 1A. We're looking at ahead at a state championship there in Class 1A. But in eight-man, we have a state championship game to talk about here. And it's two teams from our coverage area. It's Amboy and it's West Central. We'll start with the Amboy Clippers getting the 54-22 to win over St. Thomas Moore. Clippers exploded for 34 points in the second quarter. That is sending Amboy to the state championship game for the first time since 1984. Their first time in an eight-man title game. 423 yards on 66 attempts. Just a really great effort here from the Clippers. Mitch, we've talked about Amboy all year long, right? And it's it's been back and forth. I mean, it, this eight-man division, this eight-man you know level has had you know, ups and downs. There's teams that yes. rank number one, then they fall. Then other teams rank number one, then they fall. Amboy was there early on in the season. And now here they are back again in the state championship game. Yeah. A lot of credit to Amboy too, right? Because they kind of came, this is only their second year in eight man. And they came onto the scene late last year, making a run to the semifinals. So we, we expected them to have a pretty good year. Um, and, and that's where more credit I think needs to be given to Amboy where they do lose, do lose Tucker Lindemeyer in around that week four. I don't remember if it was in that week four game or week five game, whatever it was, but you know, they, they maintained who they were. Um, they were able to win a couple ball games, get into this position. So when Lindemeyer came back, they were ready to roll. So we, we've seen that now um, for the past couple of weeks that he's been back in the lineup. So this, this is exciting for, for Amboy excited to see what they can do. Um, you know, they were up big in this game, 42 to 16 in the second. And then they, they added a, a Moss highlight reel type of touchdown with, uh, with five seconds left. So, um, really looking forward to this type of athleticism from Amboy. They're going to need it in a game against West central. Um, but, but again, cool for, for that community, um, to be back in a state championship game for the first time. And, and what is that? Um, again, I'm not a math guy, uh, 36 years, 38 years. So. Yep. Um, yeah, really, really cool to see for Amboy. Yeah, going through so, some of the numbers real quick. Landon Welchel, 26 carries, 182 yards, three touchdowns. Quinn Leffelman, 166 yards and three touchdowns. And Tucker Lindemeyer also had uh, 77 yards. So great to see him back on the field. Obviously an impact player for the Clippers. Great to see them in a state championship game. And like we referenced, They'll have their work cut out for them. West Central, the Heat, making the state championship game. Coach Kirby bringing the Heat to the state championship game. This is a team we kind of had circled at the beginning of the year as well, along with Amboy. But, man, talk about – maybe it's got to be our game of the year, one of our game of the year candidates, right? I mean, 50-48 yeah. to 48 on a game-winning walk-off touchdown – from Caden Drosty from 26 yards out. Just Kyle, I'll ask you first, man, it, it was, it's wild. It, it, it is a wild play. I mean, just to watch the way it played out, 
unbelievable finish to that game. You know, it, it is. I mean, you go back and you watch that play and you're like, you got four Polo Marcos surrounding him and he's pinned to the sideline. Literally all they have to do is push him out of bounds or just take him down. And um, the pursuit angles just weren't what you thought it they would be for that time frame of the game um and, and i think if you're if, if you're polo um and, and you see that you're expecting a pass play um but you know west central what are you gonna do you gotta get the ball in your playmaker's hands and that's been Caden drosty all season long um to call a run play uh huge cojones there for kirby on that <laughs> so can't i i mean there's no better way to say it. I mean, yeah. even somebody on Twitter mentioned, man, whoever called that's got some huge huevos. And uh, <laughs> uh, and it's true. I mean, how, how do you call that play? And then um, just to have it happen, I was talking to Carl Drosty on Sunday, Caden's uh, dad, and he had made the comment. He goes, yeah, Caden was – knew that he was done. He was going to run out of bounds. But then the minute he heard the buzzer go off, he just turned up field. And <laughs> if you look, he was definitely headed out of bounds. And he made like a exit stage right move and boom, gone. <laughs> I mean, it was pretty amazing. Mitch, did you see, I think Kyle posted the, uh, the live stream feed. Did you see that yeah. final play on the live stream? It's great. The announcers make it so great too. Yeah, well, who had the sideline uh, camera? Was that Sam Ramirez? Yes. Yep. Yeah, yeah. We, we got to get we got to get him a little more versed in, in <laughs> filming plays as uh, as he did what any of us would do, right? You see something amazing happen, and you kind of got to look not through a lens, but you got to see it with your own yeah. eyes. So unfortunately, we don't see the finish of that run, but you you do see how surrounded he was, and you see him again, make that little stage exit right move. And that's where the video kind of cuts out. But um, yeah, I, again, it's it's amazing that that play was even called um, and, and amazing how he stayed up. It's it's a heartbreak for Polo, right? Because they took the lead with what, 45 seconds left, something like that. Um, and then certainly trying to go back to their third straight championship game. So it's it, as exciting as that play is, you've, you've feel so bad for that polo team you feel bad for those kids that were in that position to make it make a play but it's it, it's it, it's Caden making the type of plays that he has all year he's just a dynamic player um well deserving that West Central is going to the championship game and, and this is going to be a lot of fun on Friday night yeah just an amazing moment there for this West Central team you know and Kyle you know you and I have talked about it a little bit but this is kind of why eight man exists, right? This was a struggling West central program that, you know, they saw the writing on the wall. They weren't going to have the numbers year in and year out to compete at 11 man. And they make this move and credit to coach Kirby for stepping in and a long time, 11 man head coach. And he kind of learned a little bit. I think he learned a little bit about eight man from polo. I think he went and watched some of their games or some of those games in the NUIC that first year and kind of saw what you could do and kind of what the potential was. And, it, you know, credit to him for, you know, and, and the school and everybody involved for saying, hey, let's give this a shot. I think that we would put ourselves in a better spot to compete and look at what you bring to your community, right? This, this chance at a state championship in the eight-man division 
And it, it's been an exciting year for West Central. Mitch, like you mentioned, all credit to Polo on another great season. This team is there year in and year out. Um, you know, tough way for Avery Grenoble's career to end. I wish he could have been on the field. You know, I, we would have loved to have seen Polo at full strength. Really cool moment before the game to see Coach Kirby go over and talk to um, to Grenoble and, you know, kind of yeah. give him, you know, Mitch, you saw it on Twitter and I think retweeted it. Yeah, um, a special a special moment, right? Great sportsmanship there from, from Coach Kirby who, you know, understands. He's been around great players his whole career, right? So he understands how devastating that could be. And again, even gives a little bit more credit to Polo on how well they played without him. So um, yeah, that was, that was a nice gesture by, by coach Kirby. And again, glad that that, that moment got captured on camera because uh, we like to see that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, Kyle, let's, let's dive into this eight man state championship game. When I say West central and Amboy, what's the, what's the scouting report here? What do you see in this matchup? Well, obviously we got one team that uh, definitely is going to be more like a power run team an option type offense uh you know you 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 got a team that's going to try to run parker meldrum up the middle they're they're going to try to get drosty to the outside off tackle or well off guard i guess you could say an eight man um uh and you know some of their playmaking i mean i was watching very closely with more intent uh, against Polo and, you know, some of their playmaking even doubles that of like a double wing offense where the, the quarterback just pitches it and then becomes a lead blocker. I saw that a lot with, uh, with uh, Mason Carnes uh, on the, uh, during that game as well. So, you know, we, against Milledgeville, we saw Carnes roll out to where he was basically the option man or the, 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 back on the lead and then Drosty would trail him as the option guy um this time is more of a, a pitch to Drosty and roll out and go block somebody and uh you know it just goes to show you the different schemes that coach Kirby puts into the the the, the game plan that he has there just to change things up while still trying to get uh Drosty the ball and then of course offsetting it with Meldrum trying to go up the middle uh, definitely keeps the defense um, honest. And, you know, you, you can't overlook the fact that if West Central wants to pass, they can. I mean, Carnes is passing at like a 67% clip on the year. So while they haven't thrown a lot of passes, they've been very effective and efficient when they do. And, uh, Likewise, I think we're going to see a lot of that out of Amboy. I mean, Landon Welchel has definitely came on strong. I mean, he was he was a guy that uh, we talked about briefly in the preseason as being somebody to watch for, but not necessarily one of the key figures. But he's definitely growing into that role given the opportunity, and he's really uh, taken off with it. And with his playmaking ability to be able to get the run game going uh, for Amboy, it's definitely started to open up more of the offensive attack from Quinn Luffelman as well at the fullback position. And of course, you know, getting probably one of the best, if not the best players in all of eight man football and Tucker Lindemeyer back 
uh, is definitely a huge advantage for Amboy because he was not in this game the first time around when West Central won 68 to 30 back in week nine. Uh, so that's a different uh, aspect that they're going to definitely have to take a look at because uh, Tucker's one of those guys, he drops back to passes. The minute he sees a sliver of a tunnel, he's gone. And uh, especially in the eight-man game, it's it's all it takes. One step and one cut, and you're off to the races. And, uh, you know, he's, he's an exceptional athlete. Um, you know, and so is Caden Drasty on the other side of the ball. I think between the two, you're definitely going to see some fireworks uh, in this game. Being on the turf, especially at Monmouth College, um, I'm really excited to see how it plays out. Obviously, Amboy's definitely had have has faced some more adverse conditions uh, as the season has gone on uh, with the losses of Kai Cook and their leading tackler and Levi McKinley. Um, and then you had the injury to uh, Tucker Lindemeyer, and now they got Lindemeyer back. And uh, you got some of these other guys that are really stepping up. And here, here's the thing. I mean, I've, we've talked about this before. Amboy's in their second straight semifinal game, now their first state championship game in the eight-man level. And there's only one senior on this team, and that's Lindenmeyer. So, I mean, we saw what Eddie Jones did as a sophomore backing up and keeping the steady train rolling for the Clippers as they went on. It just gives you more to look forward to for next year as well. Yeah, absolutely. This Amboy team, certainly, you know, future looks bright. Looking at this state championship game this year, what a remarkable story. You know, a part of me really hopes that, you know, Tucker Lindenmeyer can end his career with a state championship, right? For what he's done going back to last year, getting him to the semifinals, and this year battling through injury, being back at playoff time. It's a remarkable story. That would be a great way to cap off his career Either way, his career has been a remarkable success, and regardless of what happens here. I, you know, going back to your playoff preview show, Kyle, I took West Central back then, and I don't really see a reason to change that right now. I think West Central is such a deep team, and when you start talking about where's the best athlete on the field, I look at Drosty, and I, so I think that that depth, and that talent and that athleticism out of Drossy, I, I think I'm going to go with the heat here. Mitch, what do you think? I'm going to, I'm going to go the way of the former three rivers foe. Um, and All I'm right. going to go with Amboy here. I, I, I just think Linnemeyer is going to be the difference. Uh, the way that they've been playing kind of gives West central, maybe a different look than they're used to. Amboy plays really good defense. So I think in the end, I think it'll be close. I think this will come down to the fourth. I, I think Lindenmeyer makes a play um, in that fourth quarter, and Amboy's going to get a state championship here. You know, you do bring up a great point that this Amboy team held St. Thomas Moore to 22 points. Mm -hmm. A St. Thomas Moore team that really looked impressive, you know, through this playoff run. So, you know, there is something to be said there about Amboy's defense. Kyle, I'm going to put you on the spot. We'll go ahead. Can I ask you guys a quick, quick question? Was was Kirby at Bureau Valley when they won a title? I oh, think he had left the year before. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. So, uh, Kyle, I'll put you on the spot then. Uh, well, 
I'm a creature of habit, so to speak, and uh, and I'm a definitely a, a big competitor, and I, I hate to be wrong, and I definitely hate to lose, uh, <laughs> but I'll admit when I'm wrong. I have no problem doing that, um, but when, I, when the brackets rolled out and obviously we were able to see firsthand action when West Central hit that last three-week stretch of the regular season and, of course, watching what they've done with another rematch with Milledgeville and now a game with Polo under their belt. Obviously, definitely uh, worth the number one ranking we gave them by week seven. Um, and uh, likewise, when the brackets came out, they were my pick to go win the title. Um, and I'm going to stick with that pick because I do, I, I feel that they are the best team. Um, I definitely do feel that this game will be a lot closer than what it was when we saw it in week nine. Um, and I think, uh, I think it's going to be two physical lines going head to head with each other. Cause both these teams are very physical up front, uh, which, you know, was a big naysayer for the eight-man game just a few years ago. Everybody's like, oh, eight-man, it's just the poor man's football league. Well, you know, you start getting some of these teams that are low numbers but have good talent of players. They have respectable programs. They have huge-time coaches, respectable coaches with a lot of big games under their belts, and they're helping to develop the eight-man game. And I think we're just – we're at the beginning phases, but we saw it last year and we definitely seen it this year where the A-man game is really starting to grow in the direction we anticipated and hoped it would. And I think we're in for a good uh, eight-man state championship game once again. I don't think it'll be low scoring like it was last year, but it's going to be cold. Uh, it's definitely going to be cold. I think I saw game time temps were supposed to be at 23 degrees uh, without the wind chill. So, oh my gosh. Um, definitely be interesting to see all this play out. Yeah, I, I, if uh, if the West Central Polo finish was any indication of what we'll get in the state championship game, I'm very excited. And again, the, we've we've had fun covering this eight-man division all year long. I would love nothing more than to cap it off with an instant classic game here. Excited to watch that one play out. We'll be watching. We'll be live tweeting that one on uh, on Friday night, seven o'clock at Monmouth College, seven p kickoff time. Seven p.m. kickoff, Monmouth College, and uh, I'll get everything published. But it will be on uh, uh, Hewlett Public Pro on YouTube. So uh, awesome. I'll get all that link information put out there. Awesome. Great. Yeah, we'll make sure to retweet it. They do a great job of covering things. So Friday night, you can catch it live on YouTube or head to Monmouth College, uh, 7 o'clock, West Central, and Amboy playing for the eight-man state championship. So that was all of the good that happened on Saturday. Mitch, we did see, you know, like we referenced, the unfortunate downfall of several of our area teams. You know, they their seasons came to an end in the state quarterfinals. We'll start in Class 2A, where we had a pair of teams playing in the quarterfinals. Rock Ridge falls to Moroa Forsyth, the number one seed in that 2A bracket. They fall 21-7. to I mean, credit to the Rock Ridge defense. In the loss, I still felt like they really did do a good job of controlling 
a very high-powered Moreau Forsyth team. Held them to three mm-hmm. touchdowns, obviously a two-score game, but I'll give them credit there. They kept this game fairly close throughout. Yeah, it was only 14-7 um, at the break, and it was actually tied with about two minutes left. So this this was a good game. Um, and, and again, with the team in Rockbridge that we've talked about all year and certainly since week one that we thought that they would make a run. I don't remember when we predicted that they were going to go eight and one, but it was pretty early. Um, and have just been so impressed with how they've played since then. So um, we knew when the brackets came out that Moreau Forsyth, typically a, a team that falls into the South bracket, um, them going into the North was going to be a little bit of a challenge for those teams. And I think that's going to hold true the West of the, the rest of their way. Obviously, a big game with with Tri Valley here in the semifinals, and potentially meeting up with St. Teresa. That'd be a pretty pretty fun game to see. But for the Rockets, you know, Coach Sam Graves thanked his senior class. This was a, a group of kids that they won two Rock championships and led the Rockets to their first elite appearance since 2014. So, um, really cool story in this one was that their quarterback Jacob Bainey, he's one of the seniors. He was on the field for the first time since week seven when he broke his leg, um, worked really hard to to get back and was able to suit up, try to give the Rockets a spark, did pretty well. Um, but but in the end, after the game, the, the Rockets just talked about how special it was to have him back in the fold to kind of finish it off the way that they started back when they were younger kids. So a, a cool story, a cool moment in, in despite of a loss. Yeah, I saw some of the um, coverage, great coverage by WRMJ. Uh, Jim Taylor and his son, Ty Taylor, both do an excellent job out there. And they were covering this Rockridge team uh, last week. But, you know, tough, tough way for the season to end. But like you referenced, you know, this this Rockridge team and this senior class really has a lot to be proud of. Mitch, this was a Rockridge team that when we started this podcast in the spring, they went uh, six and zero. Oh. You know the six game schedule that year, and they went undefeated. Had a really good year, really good showing in you know in that shortened season. And then last year, you know, still made the playoffs at five and four, but this year really kind of catapulted themselves back to kind of where we thought Rockridge would be. So credit to this class for really getting Rockridge back kind of on the map. I think in the Three Rivers. Mm. Yeah, and I think they've got some players coming back. I know Connor Deems, one of them that's going to be back. So, yep, you know, I anticipate them being another force in that in that Rock Division next year too. So, um, yeah, for for Moral Forsyth, we talked about him on the previous show. Caden Mauer has been their star all year, and he really shined in this one. He hit his first fourteen passes in this game, finished up fourteen of fifteen for one hundred thirty seven yards. He had sixty five yards on the ground and had two interceptions on defense. So. Um, in, in a hard-fought battle, you're going to rely on your top guys in, in the uh, the Trojans, right? They they did in this one. So yet another semifinal appearance for Moreau Forsyth, who seems to be there uh, quite a bit. So they move on. Uh, Kyle, Mitch did not include uh, your boy Riser, the Tim Riggins of IHSA football, in his notes here. So you know that's that's on Mitch. He didn't include your your favorite. You know, it's funny. I I went to a message board that I follow with some intent and I saw somebody else had uh, mentioned that Aiden riser is the Tim Riggins. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, yeah, I know where you got that from. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, great comparison. I love it, Mitch. So it's going to be Moreau Forsyth and Tri-Valley 
And then in the north side of the or south side of the bracket, St. Teresa and Johnston City. Before yeah. we dive into those matchups, I got to ask, Mitch, Merle Forsyth has a lot of different uniform combinations. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Do you, do you like it? Where where you go here? Well, you're what you're going to see in this game is similar with Tri-Valley because they're both kind of it's it's similar to Dupec, right? They okay. do that like black, blue and gold type of thing. Um, Merle is maybe a little bit more yellow than gold, but either way, um, credit to them, right? I, I like mixing it up. I, I think it's cool that they have a lot of options that they, they obviously care about that. They obviously play into that. So yeah, they, they certainly have better combinations than other ones that they've, <laughs> they show if they're going all yellow or whatever it is, you know, put that on the wayside, but uh, <laughs> I give them credit. I give them credit for trying. I like the helmets. They got pride stickers, you know, the whole bit. So um, if, if they move on to the state finals and when we do our, our uni view for the state finals, they will be a good one to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I we'll, maybe we'll get into that down the way. When we start looking at the matchups here, Kyle in class two, a, what are your, what are your predictions? Who's going to be in champagne? Well, I mean, well, I'll start in the South because I think that's definitely easier. I mean, we got the Johnston City Indians coming out of the Black Diamond Conference. Usually not a very strong conference when it comes to football. Um, they're definitely hey, be, more known. Be nice, be nice to the Black Diamond. I used to cover a lot of football down there in college. So. <laughs> I I know, I know. <laughs> but, you know, they're, they're, they're more known for baseball than – It's true. Yep. Than they are – and uh, so, I mean, Johnson City's runs definitely somewhat of a surprise. I think a lot of people were expecting to see Shelbyville in this game, especially after what we saw them do uh, earlier in the season. Um, you know, pretty much have a dominant year with the exception of the one loss that they had to St. Teresa. Um, with that, though, St. Teresa has definitely been knocking down everybody including a very tough Athens team that we saw give Merle Forsyth everything that they wanted in week nine and uh you know they're just they're they're doing what we expect them to do and uh you know it and it's tough because we've thought St. Teresa should have been there in 2019 we thought they should have been there last year in 2021 well, now they, they're putting it all together. I think these guys definitely know what their goal is. They're playing like they know what their goal is. I definitely expect to see another uh, onslaught by St. Teresa as they stamp their way to Champagne for that state championship game. On the north side, definitely much tougher. Obviously, you know, Trialli was just here a year ago. Uh, Moreau Forsyth, obviously perennial to the situation, but it's been a couple of years since we've seen them in the semifinals. Uh, you got to go back to 2018 when they last made it to state. Um, with that, though, you know, Tri-Valley was at state in 2013 where they lost to Lena Winslow in Class 1A, and then they were back again in 2015 in Class 2A when they pounded the brakes to Auburn uh, in that game. So, um you know, Coach Aaron Roop is uh, very um, acquainted with what's going on. Um, obviously, these two teams played in the Class 1A semifinals against each other in 2013 on the South Bracket side. So there's a little nugget of information that leads to this uh, game as well. Um, so they have gone up against each other. Um, you know, 
obviously what we're going to see out of uh, Tri-Valley is something that we're similar to seeing up here. You know, they're going to run a wishbone style, double wing style type offense. Uh, they, they like to stay low, uh, give misdirection, different reads, and, and keep you off balance. Whereas we're going to watch uh, Moreau Foresight definitely come out of the spread. And, um, you know, we're going to watch Maurer try to pick apart and then, you know, they're going to do about 60, 40 run to pass. And uh, it's going to be a very interesting matchup. Obviously, again, weather is going to play an impact in this game to a degree. Obviously, both teams have to play it. But regardless of what people think, trying to catch a cold ball on a cold day is not the easiest thing to do, especially when your fingertips are frozen, too. So um, I, I like this game a lot um I'm, I'm i'm excited for it yeah well we talk about you know tri-valley and how about um vikings running back blake reganold rushed for a class 2a playoff record 417 yards and five touchdowns against knoxville to propel them to the to this uh semifinal matchup so you know he's doing impressive work and like you said if it becomes a weather issue, you know, running the ball is always better in these situations, right? So th does that favor Tri-Valley a little bit? Obviously, Mitch, you want to run the ball all the time, so. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, for Tri-Valley, if you've got uh, Reginald, hope we're pronouncing that right. You know, he's over 2,000 on the season, so he's really their go-to guy. So, yeah, I, I've been impressed with Moroa. I, I do think they'll win. I think they'll find a way. Um and I think it'll be them and St. Teresa, and that'll be a fun matchup in Champaign. Yeah, I think I'm going to go Moreau, Forsyth, and St. Teresa as well. I think those are my those are my teams to play in Champaign. But uh, before we move along into uh, the other class, I do want to give a shout-out to Knoxville. You know, the 2022 LTC Tri-Champions, right? They shared it kind of three ways in the LTC. But credit to the Blue Bullets. They've been in the LTC two years in a row now and they've had a share or an outright conference championship. So great for them. And this year in particular, only the fourth team in school history to reach the quarterfinals. So this Knoxville program year in and year out is a, is a playoff team. They're a competitor in any conference they're in, whether it's Prairie land or the Lincoln trail. So good for them to make this run. And um, I'm sure they'll be back, right? They'll be in the mix again next year. We'll be talking about them. So um, great year for them and, and shout out to, you know, the people from Knoxville are, are, you know, our resources behind the scenes that they send us information every week and we yep. certainly appreciate it. They're giving us the drive summaries, the stats, the, the info. We love it. So, all right, time to move into class three a and Kyle, we've talked a lot about it. Mitch, we've talked a lot about it. This class three a bracket. We thought it would be a lot of fun. And man, it has proven to be every bit of that in every matchup we've seen. We'll start with IC Catholic and Princeton. Man, I wanted this to be a great game. And obviously, you know, for our local coverage area, I would have loved to see Princeton come out on top. It was a great game. The Tigers fall just short, 27-20 in overtime. Mitch, another gut-wrenching just heartbreaking overtime loss for one of our teams in our coverage area. This one was tough. 
Princeton yeah. battled and falls just short. Yeah, you know, the Tigers flat out really controlled the first half of this game, which was a surprise to me to at least not not that they not that they were leading at half. I don't want to put it that way, but just the way that they led, right? Um, you know, they went toe to toe with one of the most talented offenses that is in the state, you know, that they've got really, really dynamic playmakers at every single level of this team. So, uh, you know, to jump out to a quick 14, nothing lead, thanks to an Augie Christensen touchdown and then a pick six from Danny Siaki. I think that really put a shock, you know, through icy Catholic, but credit to them. They, they come back, they do score. Um, and certainly came back from a 27 uh, halftime deficit. But again, it was Princeton who was just impressive because IC Catholic had two chances, one at the end of the first half and one at the beginning of the second half. They were inside the five, and the Tiger defense stepped up and kept them out of the end zone. So, uh, you know, Princeton gave them everything in this game that they had. Um, A bit of an unsung hero for, for the Knights. It was Joey... Gliata, I believe is how you pronounce Gliata? it. Gliata, yeah. Something like that, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but but Coach Ryan Pearson even admitted that he didn't have him on his depth chart because he's a third-string running back. They have two really good running backs. I don't know if they were injured or if they were just using uh, using this guy as just kind of, you know, uh, giving them a new look. But he came out and rushed for 181 yards and scored three touchdowns, including the game winner in overtime. So... Again, it, it it speaks to the depth of IC Catholic, speaks to their talent. Um, but yeah, this was this was this was a heartbreaker, as you mentioned. We, we've been, we've enjoyed Princeton so much. They're such a, a really good program. Unfortunately, have run into IC Catholic, you know, two straight years now. Would would the same thing happen if they if they played Byron? Would the same thing happen if they played um, Reed Custer? You know, it, it's hard to say, but. You know, this was a good game regardless of, of who won and who lost. It was a great playoff game, great atmosphere there in Princeton, as always. Great TV production there from Tiger Central Live. So um, hats off to both programs. This was this was a great game. Yeah, Mitch, you referenced the two uh, stops that Princeton's defense had early in the game. But then when I was watching, late in the fourth quarter, IC Catholic drove down to within the 10-yard line and Princeton stopped him on three straight plays, held him out of the end zone. IC Catholic attempted a field goal, which was a botch snap. So they got zero points out of that. And Matt, at that point, I thought, man, if Princeton can march downfield, put themselves in a position for a last second score, whether it's touchdown or field goal, man, I really felt like they that was their opportunity right there. Mm-hmm. They weren't able to make it happen. They go into overtime, like you referenced, uh, Gelada scores on the first play from scrimmage in overtime. But even then, I still thought like, all right, Princeton's going to get their shot here. And on a third down play, it looked like they tried kind of a little trickery and Augie Christensen took a ball on a pitch and then was looking to maybe throw. And I think it it, it kind of started to fall apart. And, and I see Catholic had it covered well. And it just, it ends up in an, in, being an interception just again, heartbreaking loss. Mitch, after going through the overtime loss with Moline the week before, yeah. this was this was tough tough to watch again for one of our local teams. Yeah, this one, you know, didn't 
didn't pull my heartstrings for as long as the Moline game did. Um, but, you know, the end result was still the same. What I liked about this, Greg and, and Kyle, after the game, um, you know, we, we've talked about IC Catholic a lot. We don't need to do it right now. We'll do it at a different time. But um, I think they they knew and respected what they were up against because after the game, the scenes, the videos, the pictures, you know, for as much jubilation as there was from the IC Catholic win, they were right there embracing an, an emotional Tiger team. That they knew what they went through. It was such a hard-fought battle for both teams. And so, you know, it, it's it's easy to celebrate in moments like that, but it really shows character when your team is out there respecting your opponent um, and helping them in, in, a, in a tough time. You know, this is some of the kids' last games they'll ever play, and, and for the winning team to be there, you know, holding you up, that says a lot about their program. And uh, we do wish them the, the best of luck here moving on. Yeah, I, I will say, you know, you look back at last year, Mitch, we we were fairly critical of IC Catholic and kind of the, you know, what they represent. But and by by default, not specifically them, right? I, let's, no, let's I will say them. what right, I was going to... Not gonna, specifically them, just the system, how the system works. What I was, yes, what I was referencing was, yes, we were critical of uh, of not them but kind of of the situation and of, of kind of the way the rules are laid out in the IHSA. That being said, yes, they were the ones in the situation and we were kind of calling it out because of their results in their games. No discredit to them and their players. And I think you really saw it here. I think they showed a lot of sportsmanship. They showed a lot of class at the end of the game. Uh, Kevin Hieronymus from the Bureau County Republican was the first one to point it out, right? And he's been covering games out there. He said it's he said this was one of the best games he's covered in 30 plus years covering mm-hmm. sports around the Princeton Bureau County area. And he immediately pointed out, you know, the sportsmanship and, you know, kind of that, you know, just that that good nature at the end of the game. So we love to see that. And for this Princeton program, so much to be proud of. And Ryan Pearson continues to build just a powerhouse program, five consecutive conference titles. This senior class has had an incredible run. Obviously, mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about Tegan Davis and you know what he's done on offense and defense and special teams. You know, best of luck to him in the future. He's got a great career ahead of him, but a lot of seniors on this Princeton program that really have continued to change the culture and kind of push it ahead each year. Yeah. And and a lot coming back too. Um you know, I know Noah Laporte is the, has been their main yep. wideout. I, I don't know what the plans are for him. If he has a Tegan Davis-like career path ahead of him where he moves under center. Um, Augie Christensen, another senior. Uh, his brother, Ace, is back. He's only a sophomore. So I expect Princeton to reload once again, be in the same position next year. So, um, again, just a testament to Coach Pearson, a testament to the Princeton community, uh, the buy-in from everybody with the football program. So, uh, like you said, a lot to be proud of. Um, tough game. They played great. They gave it their all. And uh, that, that's all you can ask for. Yeah. And, you know, Mitch, you referenced that Princeton has had the unfortunate task of meeting up with IC Catholic back-to-back years and falling short. But really, when you look at this 3A bracket, I'm not sure it makes, you know, any difference who you meet up with. Every team right. in this 3A bracket is challenging and they're – powerhouse type of programs right you're talking about byron who won against reed custer but also reed custer had a phenomenal year 
back, you know, another phenomenal season. On the other side of the bracket in the South, you have Tolono Unity and Williamsville, teams we yeah. talk about every year. This 3A bracket is so loaded. So, Kyle, as I've been doing, I'm going to put you on the spot here. When you see this 3A bracket as it shapes up now, what do you see? Well, <laughs> what I see is a lot of teams with a lot of uh, success in state championship appearances since yeah. 2014. Um I mean, you take a look at it, you got six, eight, you got 10 different state championship appearances before these, uh, with these four teams uh, going back to 2014. Um, obviously, you have Byron winning state last year over Tolono Unity. I see Catholic won state in 16 and 17, and then they were up in 4A in 2018 where they won state again. Williamsville beat Byron and uh, 2019 for a state title they lost in 2014 and then unity was in the 2015 state championship against bishop mcnamara um and uh yeah taking a look at these matchups i'm not surprised to see these teams here um obviously i felt that just taking a look at that byron reed custer game i felt that reed custer would have the uh, potential to make it to state so their their loss definitely broke my bracket but uh you know it, it, it happens i mean to me it tells you the growth that byron's having because i mean they did graduate quite a few players off of last year's state championship team and they're, they're a young team this year and for them to uh be building since week that week one loss to stillman valley Every week, if you just take a look at the scores of the competition they played, the games just keep getting bigger and better and better and better, and the scores just keep growing. I mean, granted, you don't want to always go score comparisons, but it's the one thing that we all allude to, and and their score comparisons are, are growing week to week, week and, and they're definitely gaining that confidence. And obviously, the, the tradition – that uh, Coach Jeff Boyer and his staff has put together. I mean, they're 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 gunning for their fourth consecutive state title game appearance. So not surprised there. And obviously, same thing down in South. You got Scott Hamilton coaching Tolono Unity. He's been in state six state championship games with the Rockets, and unfortunately, all six have come back home with the runner-up trophy. But that's regardless to say that the conference that they come out of with unity and Monticello and St. Joe Ogden, they have that championship level pedigree there. So they're battle tested year after year after year. And, and to get that win over Prairie central, a conference opponent who beat them uh, back in week one by 20 points uh, and, and get that win 14 and nothing to me, Nolly shows a testament to what Scott Hamilton can do to get his players motivated for a game to turn that score around in their favor, but also the ability to make changes and adapt and grow with what they have in front of them. And uh, that was a, that was a huge game. I was absolutely shocked to see that score. I mean, there again, another bracket buster. I had Prairie central going to the state championship game. So um, Williamsville, you know, I'm not surprised. I, I felt that Williamsville definitely had the easiest 
of the routes to be this far. I mean, they're my, they were my pick to be in uh, the semifinal game. Um, so not surprised to see them here. Um, but regardless of how you look at it, yeah, these four teams are four of the teams that we've had in our state rankings from the very beginning. There are four teams that we consistently talk about year in and year out. And uh, man, has this 3A bracket gone exactly how we thought it would all chaos after the second round. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I had, um, like you, I had Prairie Central in there and I had Reed Custer. So, you know, both my bracket is completely busted, which by the way, Kyle, in your, in your bracket pool, man, I have been awful. So bad. So bad. Don't worry, I'm not far behind. (laughs) So I I will never claim to be an expert because man, my bracket does not look good, but Mitch, how's your bracket sitting? Did you where are you sitting in three A here? It's it's pretty good because I didn't fill one out. Um, so oh, okay, no there you losses, go. No losses on my record. <laughs> okay. Um, in this one, I'm gonna say I'm gonna go Byron. I think they've been tested more than IC Catholic has been. You, you see what IC Catholic does or, or or did? You know where they were tested, they were able to come back. Testament to them, but they go to overtime. I think Byron's been in that situation more um and, and come out on top so i'm gonna take byron in the north and i'll take williamsville in the south and get that rematch of what did you say 2013 state championship whatever that was so i'll go byron and williamsville here in 3a 2019 19 2019 i'm sorry 2019 i think i think i agree with that i i i like byron and i think that they've been battle tested in conference play and i think that you know maybe Early, was it week one that they lost to Stillman Valley? Yeah. And I think maybe that was that smack in the mouth of like, all right, you know, that that championship is in the past and now teams are gunning for you. And I think they've responded. They've answered every week since. And uh, here we go. I, I think Byron and Williamsville in the state championship. I would agree with that. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, at this moment in time, I – Byron's that one team that knows what it has to do to take down an IC Catholic team that's coached by Bill Kraft. Um, these two have played each other numerous times. Byron obviously playing close in uh, the last two times that they've met where IC Catholic went in as a huge favorite. And, you know, the one year I think they won by three points or four points. And then obviously Byron getting the upset last year in the, uh, waning uh, seconds of the game uh, on that two-point conversion. That was a go-for-broke type of call. But, uh, um, you know, it, obviously I see Catholics definitely going to have the skills players. But watching the Iron Tigers and how they're starting to move, you're starting to see them play that style of football that you're used to seeing just getting out front on those run blocks, getting those double dives going, the leads going, the the counterattack going, and, and, and they look great executing it. And um, obviously with IC Catholic, we're going to see uh, Danny Mandela, uh, KJ Parker, and those guys are, are going to try to, you know, get the ball to the outside, try to attack downfield, um, whether it be through go routes, seam routes, dumps across the middle, bubble passes, uh, 
and even the, the, the jet sweep, you know, they're, they're going to try to utilize speed and space. And, um, you know, Byron's very disciplined at stopping offenses like that. I like Byron down south. Um, man, what a game there. Williamsville unity. That, you know, that could be a toss-up game too, in my opinion. But I do think that uh, Coach Coons, Learned a lot from that loss with Moreau Forsyth. At the same time, again, you know, he's got the ability to make big plays with Jake Seaman at quarterback. Um, we've seen him do it year in and uh, year out, and, and Seaman's just playing top-notch football right now. I like Williamsville getting the champagne. Yep. All right, well, there you have it. We're going to jump around a little bit here, but let's get into class 5A, and then we'll go back and talk about the other the other classes and what the semifinals hold. In Class 5A, we saw our final Western Big Six team go down. Sycamore gets the 28 to nothing win over Sterling. Really, just a methodical game for Sycamore, scoring one touchdown each quarter, and really a punishing defense. This is their second shutout in a row. And it's their fourth in the last five games, all against playoff teams, their sixth shutout of the year. So, you know, this this Sycamore program, really good, you know, year in and year out. And man, unfortunately, in their second matchup in the playoffs here in the last few years, they've had Sterling's number and they they get the win mm-hmm. here. Yeah, you know, the, the Golden Warriors tried everything on, on Saturday afternoon. You know, we, we hadn't seen very many offensive formations that had JP showing and Kel Ryan both playing at the same time. And, and they certainly pulled that out of the playbook uh, in this game, but, but the Spartans just always seem to have the answer. You know, we've talked all year about how good the golden warrior rushing attack has been and all the weapons that they've had the Spartans limited them to 64 yards. Um, and, and that is not an easy task whatsoever. They also came away with three interceptions. So when you, when you say punishing defense, it, it means that to a T. This this is a really, really good Sycamore team that Sterling unfortunately ran into. It, it was a great season for Sterling. They were also just a ton of fun to cover um, and just ran into a, a buzzsaw team here. So um, congrats to both teams on great years, but Sycamore is the one that moves on. Yeah. Uh, you know, as for Sterling – Mitch, I think you'd agree, really enjoyed covering Kale Ryan, J.P. Mm-hmm. Schilling, Antonio Tablante, you know, AJ there's Kested, other names. Yeah, yeah Kested, there's a lot of names in there. Um, just really enjoyed covering this team, and it was, you know, a lot of fun to watch them throughout the year. As far as Coach Schlemmer and the Golden Warriors, I'm sure he'll have this team back again next year, right? They'll, they'll be competing mm-hmm. for Western Big Six crown. They'll be right in the mix. And before we completely wrap up our Sterling Golden Warrior coverage, we got to give a shout out to Zach, Zach Shapiro. He's yeah. a senior Golden Warrior who uh, has been, you know, helping out. He does all a lot of the stuff, a lot of the camera work for Golden Warrior TV. He's graduating, but he helped us out a ton this year. And Mitch, he gave us uniform updates every Friday, which was huge. So yeah, we don't we don't get that a lot. So that was uh, that was clutch. So yeah, we, we appreciate Zach listening and, and being a good good partner for us, and uh, always providing great coverage for Sterling. We'll, we'll miss him, and uh, Golden Warrior TV will will miss him as well. Yeah, well, best of luck to him in the future and to all those uh, 
you know, Golden Warriors seniors that are graduating. And I'm sure, like we said, I'm sure that uh, they'll be back and they'll, they'll be in the fold like they are. So for the second straight season, Sycamore goes into the semifinals. They will face number 11 seed Nazareth Academy. And on the other side of the bracket, how about traditional power Morris back in the mix here in the state semifinals against maybe one of the newer powerhouses, more recent powerhouses in Peoria on that south side of the bracket. That's a really intriguing matchup with that Mm -hmm. high-powered Peoria, you know, offense and what they do going up against that traditional power in Morris. That's an intriguing matchup there. And then Sycamore and Nazareth Academy. I don't know. You know, I haven't followed along with these teams too closely but obviously Sycamore really impresses me. And man, I, I never want to go against a Peoria offense. They're just, they're just really good at what they right. do. Yeah. I think I'm, I think I'm with you there. Um, just uh, again, came away from this game and, and looking back at the season, super impressed with Sycamore. I do think Nazareth Academy has a lot of players. Um, but again, with the defense that the Spartans have, I'm going to give the top seat Sycamore yep. the edge in the North. And, and like you said, too, I'm going to agree with you here. Uh, Malachi Washington and the rest of the Peoria team put up a lot of points this year, a ton of points, as they always have. I think they still have the IHS record for most points in the season. So um, tough to match up with. Morris has had a really good year. I think they've had some blowouts in the playoffs. So I could see Morris winning. I, I certainly could. But, yeah, I'll take, I'll take Sycamore and uh, I'll take Peoria. Yep. Kyle, you have any thoughts on a four or a five A here? Uh well, you know, you got Nazareth. Obviously, you know, they they definitely have the the capabilities of knowing how it is to get to state and win at the state level. Sycamore definitely is building a great program. Um, I I really haven't followed much, but if I were have to put my say in it I can't go against the roadrunners so I would have Nazareth winning that game but you know uh Sycamore obviously just being 45 minutes down the road obviously it'd be nice to see them get there um likewise on the other side you know Peoria has proven to continue to do what they do year in and year out it is an intriguing matchup with Morris a, a more power dominant type of team um, a team who surprisingly you see them go south considering that they're in Joliet, but um, you know, that's just the way it breaks out when you split it down, you know, and they were the highest team to the north. So um Peoria, I think, is definitely gonna have more skilled players though in this game. Uh just like you said, very explosive offense. Um Morris is one of those teams that wants to grind it out, run it out. And, uh, it, you know, they might have a chance, but I, I like Peoria in the game. Yeah. Let's look at uh, the state semifinals, you know, around the rest of the state. In Class 4A, you have Providence Catholic. They got the win over Joliet Catholic. And they will go up against Wheaton St. Francis. But I think all eyes are on the other side of that bracket. Rochester, Sacred Heart Griffin. It's the final Leonard Bowl. Mitch, I know you and I watched along live last year. It was on a Friday mm-hmm. night. Um, they, just so awesome. Is this, so is this one, I think. Yeah. 
awesome game to watch. And uh, it, it's great. I'm glad it's, you know, it set itself up one more time. Yeah, we, we kind of saw that um, when you first saw the bracket come out, you saw a path that both of those teams could make it to this point. So, yeah, one final Leonard Bowl, uh, Rochester versus Sigurd Griffin, father versus son uh, with a state championship game bid on the line. What more can you ask for? So that'll be an emotional game there on Friday night, no doubt about it. Um, I want to say Sacred Heart Griffin won pretty handily in the regular season matchup that they had. Um, I'll take them again. Uh, I, they're just so impressive, so skilled. On the other side, I don't understand how Providence Catholic is a 4A team. Um, a, a, discussion <laughs> for, a discussion for another day. Um, I think they will win over Wheaton St. Francis, so I, I'll take Sacred Heart Griffin and Providence Catholic, which would, which would really be, regardless of class, a really, really good uh, state championship. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I have a uh, I have family that went to Providence, so uh, I, I think I have to go with you know Providence with the Celtics there, yeah. and uh, man between Rochester and Sacred Heart Griffin, man, that's a really tough one. I'll I'll go Sacred Heart Griffin. I'll, I'll go Jim Leonard gets his uh, yeah. gets his final win over his son before he retires. Yep. Kyle, what say uh, you? Well, I, you know, SAC and Rochester, obviously, huge matchup there. Uh, obviously, uh, Derek Leonard has done great things at Rochester. Um, you know, he went to his first semifinal in 2009, and then since 2010 has only racked up eight state championships. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy because if you look back to 2009, he's been in the semifinals every year but one. That's insane. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he knows, he knows what's going on here. And obviously, you know, going up against his father, all time wins leader, Ken Leonard with whatever it is, 413 wins, um, just unbelievable. Um, you know, and, and Ken's one of those guys, he started his career at a small school in Gridley, Illinois, before he ended up going down to, uh, uh, Griffin and then merged it with Sacred Heart and made it Sacred Heart Griffin. He's been there ever since. Built a dynamite program. But SHG has been talked about being a favorite in every class that they could possibly play in. If they were put up in a class, 5A, 6A, 7A, um, I think SHG is going to roll in this one once again. Um, the other side, you know, it's it's – Great to see Providence where they're at, regardless of what class they're in, uh, simply because of the history that they have. Obviously, Coach Matt Senf is no longer there. Uh, but, you know, the history that he built with the Celtics program is, you know, really top level as far as state history in Illinois high school football. And uh, um, I, I – Going up against Wheaton St. Francis, you know, St. Francis had a close loss to IC Catholic. Um, and I think Providence more shocked JCA. Um, it, it, to me, it's really hard to pick a favorite in this game, but I, I'm going to go with St. Francis for the win on this one. Was uh, Wheaton St. Francis, the they beat Sterling early in the year, right, in a close game? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so – a, a close a connection there to 
you know, team in our coverage area. So should be exciting stuff there. I'll, I'll definitely find a way to tune in and watch that Rochester SHG game. Yeah. It's, it's, it, that's kind of can't miss television here for, uh, for any high school football fan in the state of Illinois. Before we wrap the show up, Mitch, we got to talk about class six a yeah you have you have lamont versus east st louis so obviously east st louis huge powerhouse program looking to get back to the state championship game last year they fell short against Kerry grove in a fantastic mm-hmm. game this yep. year they go up against lamont a team we saw take down quincy a round or two ago but on the other side chicago st ignatius going up against prairie ridge and mitch they got a guy at prairie ridge who's doing some ridiculous things, putting up yeah. some unbelievable numbers. Yeah, I don't have them in front of me. Kyle, you might. Um, is, it, is it Tyler Vasey? Vasey? Vasey. Vasey? Okay. Kyle, do you have his numbers? It's like 3,400 yards on the year or something. I think it was I think it was like 3,412 is what I saw last. Just unbelievable. And what was what did he run for in the quarters? Four hundred and seventy nine, something like that. Oh, it was four eighty three. Four eighty three. Okay. As as a as a quarterback. Um. So yeah, there there's your record holder, right? The, for not only the single season, uh, yards record, but then in, I think that was that must be a six A specific. Uh, playoff game record but it regardless it, it doesn't matter that's that's an absurd number of yards so yeah i don't know much about any of these teams honestly um nope. other than that so give me prairie ridge and give me east st louis and that's all i have to give go by well i was gonna say i don't i don't have much in the ways of predictions but i will say uh obviously vasey has been putting up uh, you know unbelievable numbers and pretty good uniform to go with it they got a pretty good oh, look yeah. there prairie oh, ridge. Yeah. yep Pretty good helmet logo. You never go I, wrong when it has a little bit of maroon in it. They, yeah, right. They, yeah. <laughs> Anybody that looks like Montana looks, I'm in. Um, hey, yep. Yeah, I'll I'll go. That would be a good, uh, you know, when we do the uni view and we do the the picture comparisons and I have them side by side. Yes. Prairie Ridge and, and East St. Louis would be a nice contrast of colors. So that's a that's a little tease ahead. Uh, Mitch and I come next week when the state championship games are all paired up we will we will break down we will break down every matchup every state championship game we'll do maybe a little bit of you know analysis on actual on-field performance and play but mainly we're going to be looking at uniforms who wins who wins in the look contest yeah we'll be talking about the 1a game and that'll take all of a couple minutes because yeah you know whether it's whether it's lee win or whether it's forest and i think we'll say that they're going to win Yep. Um, and then we won't have anybody else to talk about. So we're just going to talk about uniforms. <laughs> that's right. We, we will break them down. You know, that's the most scientific way to make a prediction is based on the uniform and how they look. So we'll go from there. Kyle, we're going to have a team. We're going to have a team in Champaign. We're going to have a team. We're going to have two teams playing for a state championship in Monmouth on Friday night. Maybe, uh, maybe an instant reacts podcast. I'm putting you on the spot here. Maybe an instant reacts podcast. Friday night potentially. Yeah, I'm game. I'm, I'm obviously I'm driving down and uh, we'll we'll be there live for that game and uh, uh, I'll have uh, Tyler Murdian on board with me. So um, definitely excited to get down there. But uh, instant reacts, we could definitely do that. 
Mitch, maybe Friday night we can pull together an instant react. That'd work. Yeah, that'd work. All right. Maybe we'll react to uh, what we see in the eight-man state championship game. Obviously, we'll have some, you know, last-minute talking points on our semifinal games. But then a week from now, we'll be talking about state championships. And obviously, we'll have a team in the 11-man ranks in Class 1A. A lot to talk about. A lot to be decided on the field in the next two weeks. Really exciting times. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thank you to everyone who listens. We will, uh, you know, stay tuned. We will be talking football uh, Friday night, Saturday, and on into next week. So thank you for now, and we will see you next week. That'll do it for this week's episode of View from the West. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to go out to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and subscribe so you can follow along, and downloads will come automatically every week. You can follow along on Twitter at ViewFromWestPod. You can also email me if you're interested in being a sponsor, viewfromwestpod at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.